Welcome to Raw Faith, a podcast for believers who want to grow and mature in their authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. In our time together, we hope to challenge each other to become better doers of the word and not just hearers. This program is hosted by Shelley McWilliams of Sozo Restoration Ministries, which helps people to transform their lives through the healing, wholeness, and equipping of Jesus. So let's see where the word takes us today. Hello, saints of God. Shelley here with Sozo Restoration Ministries. I'm excited for this episode. This is going to be part four in our series of Our Identity in Christ. So this whole series really has been about understanding how God created us, what he created us to be, what he created us for, what happened when the serpent and Adam and Eve got involved in the downfall of that. But Jesus has to come on the scene to save the day. And so I want to start from there. We have a dilemma now that the fall has happened. And if you listen to the last podcast, we went through three different things that were the fallouts of the fall. Man became separated from God. We lost the authority that God gave us to subdue and rule over creation and the beasts of the field. And because of God's justice, he had to proclaim judgment and curses upon mankind and the serpent even. And so we see three major fallouts of the fall. But the dilemma now is now that sin has entered the world, what happens? God can't just overlook things. He has to satisfy his justice, if you will. He even said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin are death. So we know that to God, the consequence of sin equals death. We cannot earn our redemption. We cannot earn our forgiveness from sins because that does not satisfy a holy God. In fact, he says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so ever since Adam sinned, we've had this huge issue with humanity. And that is that they now have a sin nature and they are guilty of disobeying God's righteous laws because of that nature. And Romans 3, 23 says that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in trouble here. And it would be wonderful if God could just snap his fingers and erase what Adam did, but he can't do that because he changes not and he is just and he is righteous and he doesn't change the rules when it benefits us. And he doesn't even change the rules when it benefits him because his heart broke when he had to proclaim judgments on us and curse his created children. So we see this plan that begins to unfold all through the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Covenant was a foreshadow and pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. In the Old Covenant, they would cover their sin with blood, but we have the Lamb of God who doesn't just cover our sins with his blood, but he erases them. He eradicates them. I just want to go over a couple of different scriptures that talk about what is God's heart now that he knows there's this sin issue that's in the world, but there's also his love for his people and his desire to be in communion. Most of you are familiar with this verse. In John 3, 16, God begins to share his heart. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So he's giving the promise now to satisfy the eternal death that we would experience because of sin entering the world. 
Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. So the Lord comes up with this plan in the beginning, and Jesus agrees with it, that he would become the Lamb of God, that he would become the sacrifice of all of mankind's sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And again, he's unfolding this redemption plan. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My dear children, I write you this, that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. Praise God. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have our redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So we see a beautiful, beautiful picture throughout different parts of the New Testament epistles and gospels of the Father's heart of his plan through his Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to redeem mankind from sin for all time. One of the reasons that this was necessary is in the Old Testament, sin was not eradicated. The forgiveness, the blood covered the sin. But with Christ, there was so much more than just satisfying sin. As we get into what Jesus did when he died on the cross, I want to remind us of the three fallouts of the fall. The first thing is we now would experience death. And we looked at the different types of death that came. The death means separation from. And so man was separated from God. There was a spiritual death that took place. When the fall of mankind came, our spirit man, and we talked about how we're three parts, spirit, soul, and body, but our spirit man died. The spirit is our part of our being that interacts and connects with God. It is a God awareness. But when sin came into the earth, we are separated from that. Our spirit man dies. And we see, if we go back to Genesis, what we've talked about in previous episodes, that Adam and Eve now become self-conscious and not God-conscious. And they recognize that they are naked and they try to cover themselves and they hide from God and they feel shame. And, and all of this is their own self-awareness, the awareness in their humanity, which is a repercussion of their spirit dying because the spirit no longer is God-focused, but now it's self-focused. And so it's the death of our spirit. The second thing that was the fallout of mankind is that we lost the authority God gave us in the Garden of Eden to subdue and to rule over the animals and the beasts of the field. And then also the third thing that happened was that God had to proclaim, because of his justice, consequences on mankind, and God cursed Adam and Eve. He cursed the woman, and he cursed the man, and he even cursed Satan. So we have these consequences. Now I want to go back, and I want to address each one of these consequences and the beauty of how Jesus satisfied them, because I want us to grasp a hold of Jesus did so much more for us than restore us into fellowship with God, which in and of itself, that would be enough. But 
we see that when the Lamb of God comes on the scene, not only does he restore us to our original design that God told us about in Genesis, but we see that Jesus goes above and beyond. And I want to take a look at that so that we understand that it's not just the restoration of who God created us to be and the assignments that God gave us. But when the Lamb of God came and we accept him, the reality is, is that we are restored to what we once were, but we also have above and beyond what we once were designed for. And that was because of Jesus. And so the first thing I want to address is how did Jesus satisfy our separation from God? Obviously, there are tons of scriptures about this. I'm just going to go over a few. In Romans 8, 37 and 38, it says, In all these things we are more than conquerors for him who loved us. Listen to 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, either the present nor the future nor any power, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a powerful statement that says, as sin separated us in the past, if Christ becomes our Lord, then there is nothing that could again separate us from the love of God. Jesus overcomes. Let's look at Romans right around, I think it's verse 34. It says that Jesus has conquered death. But in 35, it talks about how there is nothing that can divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one. I love that. There's nothing that could pull us away. There's nothing that can separate us. Absolutely no one, the scripture says. And then in verse 38, again, looking at the Passion Translation here, it says that there is no power that could be found in the universe that can distance us from the passionate love of God what Jesus did is he not only overcame the spiritual death and provided a way for us to be restored. In fact, when we are born again, that's what takes place. When we're born again, our spirit man is born again. There is a God consciousness that takes place. And in that consciousness, we're told that now nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul talks about we are not slaves to sin anymore. So there is a more than conqueror in us that we do not have to be slave to sin. And when we fall short, because in our humanity, though we want to live righteous and holy before the Lord, we're going to make mistakes. But 1 John 1, 9 says that when we do, if we will humble ourselves and we repent of those sins, that he will be just to forgive us of those sins and return us to all righteousness meaning he restores us into that intimacy, that communion with God. And again, no separation is there. Not only did Jesus overcome death, but in Eden, God came down to walk with his children in the cool of the evening. Because of the Lamb of God, we now possess the Holy Spirit of God in us. We don't have to wait for God to come down in the cool of the evening. God's spirit resides in us when we are children of God, when we are believers in Jesus Christ. So Jesus not only satisfied death, but he gave us something more powerful 
Jesus gave us above and beyond. He not only redeemed, but he added to it. And so we see that even in death, that Jesus returned us into a unity with the Father and overcame eternal death, and he overcame spiritual death. But he also gave us the power of God inside of us that we don't have to be slaves to sin. So when we sin, there is immediate redemption through our repentance and the turning of our ways that restores us to righteousness because of the blood of Jesus. And so we never have to be afraid of a sin that is going to rip us out of the hand of God because we can repent and we can be restored to God. That is such a powerful, powerful thing. And I think sometimes because we hear the gospel and we know this story of Jesus, we become so familiar with it. We forget the beauty of it, just how beautiful and everything that he did. It's mind blowing. When Jesus was on the cross, let me read Matthew 27, 45 and 46. It says, now it was the sixth hour until the ninth hour. There was a darkness over all of the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Ali, Ali, Sabatani, which is to mean, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment in history, all of the sins of the world were put upon Jesus. And for the first time in Jesus's life, he was separated from the Father. We know Jesus was all God and all man, but in that moment when sin came on him, he feels the spiritual death that we are due because of sin. And he feels that separation from God. And he says, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, a new covenant was birthed. And from that day forward, the greatest miracle ever to be would come into play. And that was because of the blood of Christ. We now have the ability to be born again and restored from death to life. But Jesus had to experience that spiritual separation from God. And in the moment when he cried that out, that's when Jesus took upon our penalty of being separated from God for eternity. He took that on so that we can walk in intimacy and oneness with the Father through the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done. The second thing that Jesus overcame and gave us above and beyond in was as a consequence of sin entering mankind, we lost our authority. In the last episode, we looked about how that authority was given to Satan, and Satan even used that authority to tempt Jesus. Jesus said that he gives us the authority to use his name. In fact, in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, it says that Jesus came to the disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. For surely I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So Jesus tells us, not only do we have the authority on earth restored, but now Jesus says, hey, I have all authority in heaven. And I'm imparting that to you. And he tells us in scripture that we can use his name. In Mark 15, verses 17 and 18, it says that signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. 
And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them, for they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So we see this picture that not only does Jesus restore our authority that God gave us over the earth, but Jesus is now giving us his authority, his authority that is in heaven. He now gives us authority to drive out demons. He gives us authority to move in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He gives us authority to pick up snakes with our hands and be immune to the poison. He gives us authority to lay hands and in his name, the sick will be healed. It is above and beyond, not just restored to the authority God gave us in Eden, but he gives us now the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When Jesus said, I have to go away so my father can send another, greater than this you shall do. And I think we take for granted that the Holy Spirit of God the spirit of creation, the spirit that brooded over the earth, the Holy Spirit of God that scripture says is the resurrection spirit of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God that demolishes the lies of the enemy. The Holy Spirit of the creator of the universe lives inside of us. The power in creation lives inside of us. And his assignment, saints, his assignment is to help us and to give us his grace and to empower us and to counsel us and to bring us comfort and to teach us and to grow us and to speak truth to us. His whole assignment is to make us successful this side of glory in the things that God has for us. It says that he is a deposit of the things that are to come. We were given a deposit of those things. And so we don't tap into the Holy Spirit enough, and, and I'm as guilty as the next person, but he's really been doing this awareness this year in me about understanding who dwells inside of me, that he not is just there to do these things, but he longs to be invited into our situations, invited in to our challenges, invited into our thoughts and into our emotions and into our decisions. He longs to be invited into those things so that he helps us to fulfill the desires of the Father's heart. And how often do we not tap into that? How often do we realize that Holy Spirit lives inside of us, but he becomes a silent tenant, if you will. And we don't realize that he is put there and he is not just there in case we need him. He is there because we always need him. There is never a time that we do not need the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It is the great deposit of what the promises of our eternal destination is. Jesus left so that Holy Spirit could be in us always and we would be able to do greater things than Jesus himself would do. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of every one of us, not just Jesus. And if we were to tap in to his longing to be that partner with us, telling you our lives would radically change. And I'm hungering for that. I am pressing into that. And I truly believe that this is a season where the Holy Spirit is coming against spirits of religion and mindsets and theology and all of the lies of the enemy. 
that has tried to hide him or push him down, that he is breaking forth in this season because he has a mission and there is a stirring that is happening inside believers and there's an indignation, there's a rising of God inside of us and that's the stirring of the Holy Spirit. There's a power of God that's gonna be released upon the earth and I believe that it's coming soon but that's going to happen through the Holy Spirit. And so we have to bring an awareness that he lives inside of us. We need to remind ourselves. We need to say, Holy Spirit, shake us, shake us. Give us the reality of that truth. It's by your grace, let me walk in the knowledge that you are in me and dwelling in me. Teach me how to walk in unity with you. Teach me how to yield to you. Amen. But I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost on this. He is so passionate that we step into a deeper unity, a deeper community in the Holy Spirit, that we would recognize that he does not just dwell in us as a deposit of our salvation, but he is the power of God that is inside of us. And God's will is that that power would be released through us. And it's time that we start to see that happen because we have been the slumbering giant in the church. And there is a power that has been ignored and the world is, needs this power. And I believe that's why there's a stirring of the Holy Ghost that's happening because there's the power of God that needs to come forth and is going to come forth. The key is, will we let it come forth through us? Will we let it come forth through us? Will we unleash the Holy Spirit of God in us? Will we yield? Will we surrender? Will we release his power? Will we release the will of the Father through the Holy Spirit? Will we release it through us? And it's the Holy Spirit that makes us aware of the Father's presence. It's the Holy Spirit that heightens all of our senses to understand what is happening in the spirit realm. It's the Holy Spirit that does us, and we need to grow in our intimacy with him. Whew, okay, I have no idea where I'm at in this teaching, but you know what? Bear with me because I'm telling you, I'm sweating. I'm sweating right now. I'm in a 71-degree house, and I'm sweating. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling me. I'm telling me. We got to wake up. We got to wake up, saint. We are snoozing. We're snoozing through life. And we're missing what God wants to bring through the Holy Spirit in his church. And it's not the buildings that's the church. It's you and I, we're the church. And it's time that his church got alive. It's time that his church walked in the power and the gifts of the Spirit. I'm saying to the Lord, I want to see what I read about in the Bible. Why aren't we seeing that? Why aren't we seeing the fullness of it? And I'm believing that that stirring is coming to a crescendo because the Holy Spirit is about to release something that is going to be unbelievable. And I don't want to be one that misses it. You know, I shared a message in episode two that the Lord gave me a prophetic insight about this would be the season of the parable of the 10 virgins, that what he is doing on the earth now is he is determining the hearts and decisions are being made in heart, whether we will be part of the five foolish virgins or whether we'll be part of the five wise virgins. And I believe a huge component of that is this awareness of the Holy Spirit. We can slumber through it and Jesus' return is going to come on us and it's going to surprise us like the five foolish virgins. 
Or we can wake up and we can say, Holy Spirit of God, you are the oil in the lamp that I carry. You are the oil and the power. Release your light through me. Amen. Oh, God, let it be. Holy Spirit of God, shake us up. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't even know how to turn this back to the teaching. I just I just feel it's stirring so strong, brothers and sisters, that we have got to begin to walk in what Jesus purchased for us. It is so much beyond an eternal address. It's not about just us going to heaven. It's about that the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of heaven is inside of us, and we are supposed to be deposits of heaven through his Holy Spirit to this world, to mankind, that they would be a witness to Jesus. But what's happening, can I just be real? And most of you would probably agree with me. What's happening is the spirit of the world is absorbing and overcoming the church of Jesus Christ, as opposed to the spirit of God absorbing and overcoming the spirit of the world. We have got to flip-flop that, Lord. We have got to flip-flop that. Lord, help us. Help us to do that. So he gave us that authority. He gave us the empowerment. Hallelujah. And the third thing that Jesus did in Galatians 3.13, he says, he became the curse for us. He redeemed and satisfied every curse, even the curses that God proclaimed over Adam and Eve. Jesus took those curses on the cross. Because the scripture says that he who hangs on a tree is cursed. And he took those curses and he restored us back to the blessings of God. In Ephesians 1.3, it says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All because he, meaning father, Jesus wrapped into Jesus. Not only did Jesus break the curses that were proclaimed over us, but we see here that the blessings of God are lavished on us. There's a passage in scripture that says that the blessings overtake curses. It's a, it's a promise. I think it's in the Abrahamic covenant. And we see that even as Jesus fulfills that, not only does he take the curses, but again, above and beyond not just that, but he opens a portal in heaven where all of the blessings are lavished upon us. The scripture tells us that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, the scripture tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Ephesians 2.6. So again, we see when we look at the beauty of what Jesus did, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus gave us restoration plus some. And in every one of the fallouts of the fall, we see him satisfy that and give us abundantly more. And so we are a new creation. And let me talk about that for a minute because I want to bring clarity to that because there's been a lot of false teachings. We are born again in our spirit and we are a new creation. But I've been doing inner healing and deliverance for 25 plus years. And can I tell you, because you receive Jesus in your life, all of your soul wounds, all of your bondages do not just go away. 
And I have heard people say, well, you're a new creation. You just need to pray more. Well, you're a new creation. You just need to read your word more. No, Jesus said, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Well, what does that mean? If our salvation of accepting Jesus as our Savior satisfied everything. Remember what we talked about in the beginning of this. Satan comes with a part truth and a part lie. That is a part truth. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, everything that we will ever have need of is available through his blood that he shed on the cross and the stripes that he bore. It is available. Hear me, it's available. But the part lie is that God just snaps his fingers and all of that comes to be in our life when we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And that's not true. Working out salvation in fear and trembling is because once we receive Jesus as Savior, all of those habits don't necessarily change. Your language doesn't necessarily change. Your torment doesn't necessarily change. Your wounding and your traumas don't necessarily change. Now, God can, and I've seen him do mighty works on salvation, like in the midst of somebody getting saved. But it is a process, and that's where consecration comes in. That's where us walking this life out. That is where us taking Jesus from Savior and allowing him to be Lord. That journey is consecration. That journey is where we begin to walk into the new creation that we are. Amen. It does not just happen in a snap of a fingers because we accept Jesus in our hearts. So there is sin that needs to be addressed. There are demons that you might be dealing with that need to be taken authority over and cast out. There is wounding that you may need healing for. Jesus said that I bind up the brokenhearted. I set the captives free. So all of that is accessible through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen if we're just sitting in our chairs waiting for it to knock us over. I love the analogy. My spiritual father used to tell this story all the time, and I, I don't even know how many times I've repeated it, but it is so powerful. It changed my life when I first heard him say this. He uses the analogy when the Hebrews were in bondage in Egypt. and the Lord was bringing the death angel through. And the Lord instructed his people, said, go take a lamb, bring it into the house. I want you to feed it, fluff it up. And then at a certain time, I want you to sacrifice it and drain its blood in a bowl. Then I want you to take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, and I want you to put it over the door frame of your home. And when you do that, when I release the death angel through Egypt to take the firstborn son, I will tell him he cannot cross the blood of the lamb that is on the doorpost. And so God's people did that. They went and got little lambs and they brought them into the homes and they're feeding them for a period of time. So that happens and there's kids that fall in love with these little lambs because little lambs are, they're like huge cotton balls that just kind of bounce all over the place and they're adorable. And so the kids fall in love with little Fluffy. But then the time comes where dad has to sacrifice little Fluffy and the kids are beside themselves. And so the father sacrifices the lamb and he drains the blood of the lamb into a bowl and he brings the bowl into the house and pandemonium is in the house. The kids are crying. The mom can't console them. 
she calls to the father to come and help. And so the father sets the bowl full of the blood on the table and goes to try and assist mom with these kids who are just not consolable. By the time that they get the kids settled down, it's late at night. They're tired. They totally forget to put the blood on the doorpost of their home. What would happen that night? What would happen is when the death angel came by their home, the firstborn male in that home would have died. Now, was the lamb sacrificed? Yes. Was the blood brought forth and drained? Yes. But the father forgot to apply it to the doorpost of his home, so death ensued. And it's the same thing with Christ. When Jesus shed his blood through his whips and when he died on Calvary, everything that we have need of is in that blood. Jesus even said, it's finished. But we have to appropriate, if you will, we have to paint that blood on the places in our soul that is traumatized. We have to appropriate that blood and the promises of Christ to set the captives free in our life. We have to appropriate that blood over our sin so that we can have forgiveness. We have to appropriate that blood and pour it over demons that they would let go of us and we would not be in bondage anymore. And that's why I personally believe that we have a powerless church right now for the most part, especially in North America, because we don't know how to apply the blood. We have been inoculated, many of us, to believe well, the blood is enough and that's it. Yes, that's true. The blood is enough. It is finished, Jesus said. But we're not preaching the full gospel, which means we have to appropriate that blood to the areas in our life. And if we didn't, then the word wouldn't say that Jesus has given us authority over demons to cast them out, that he's given us authority to heal people who have sickness in their bodies through him. He said, I come to bind up the broken heart. All of that is accessible through the blood of Christ, but it isn't just going to come if we leave the blood at the foot of his cross and we don't apply what he did to our lives. And that's what we're not doing well. And we see that because so much of the church, though they love God, that they are living in pain and bondage that they shouldn't have to live in but they've only got half the gospel. Jesus shed that blood, and it is a travesty if we don't walk in the victory and the authority that he went through all of that for, because all of those things hinder our intimacy with God. When we're in trauma and torment, when we are in demonic bondage, when we're in compromised sin, those things are barriers to our sensitivity to God, and it affects our intimacy with Him. And we were created for intimacy with Him. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, is all that we need. But we have to learn to apply the blood that He shed to the places in our life that He shed it for. And we have to learn to walk in the empowerment and in the unity with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So you know what the question is. You've heard the word. Now are you going to be just hearers of the word? Are you going to be doers? What are you going to do differently? How is your life going to change? How are you going to make different decisions? How are you going to interact with the Holy Spirit? 
How are you going to deal with the sin that you're caught in? How are you dealing with the torment that you're caught in? How are you dealing with those forgiveness issues because of that hurt that you're in bondage to? And it's set in with bitterness and it has set in with even a spirit of murder. It's grown so strong. What are you going to do with that now? The blood of Christ is there and you can appropriate it, but the blood of Christ is not just going to jump on you. So brothers and sisters, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging me. What are we going to do with this new identity that Christ has given us? I pray you engage with the Holy Spirit and you ask him what are areas where he wants you to become doers in what we've heard in this series. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. And if you want to know more about Shelly or Sozo Restoration Ministries, visit our website at sozorestoration.org.